We're in a series called The Way. We're walking in the way of Jesus through encounter, formation, and mission. A couple weeks ago, we talked about encounter. Last week, Pastor Aaron talked about formation. This week, we're going to talk about mission. So we're in Luke chapter 4. If you want to turn there or follow along or write it down, we're going to be in, actually in Luke chapter 4, 5, and 6, probably over the next few months. We're going to be drawing things from there. And so we're going to just keep coming back to this as like a well that we draw from. But Jesus has just come out of the 40 days of fasting, and he's in preparation. Remember, he got baptized, and he went to 40 days of fasting, and then he's prepping for his ministry. And he starts to launch off in Luke chapter 4. Verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And here, here's like a famous passage of Scripture. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what Jesus just read to all the people, what's written in the scriptures, now handed down to all of us, is essentially Jesus' job description. I mean, he's saying, this is my job description. I mean, you guys, at work or something, you have a job description that you kind of, it's like a, maybe it's a loose one or maybe it's a well-detailed one. I remember when I first became a youth pastor at 21, they said, we don't have a job description for you. Write your own job description. I'm like, Okay, so I just wrote in, like, like basically stuff I wanted to do. I mean, like, it's like, that's awesome, you know? Uh, but this is Jesus' job description. And he's God, so he gets to write his own job description. What's interesting, though, is he's quoting from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, some 700 years earlier, who he spoke to through the prophet Isaiah to write his own job description. <laughs> and he says in this, basically, he's going to do some things. He's going to proclaim good news. He's going to, uh, he's going to heal people. He's going to save. He's going to deliver. And he's going to heal. Everybody just say that. Say saved, saved. deliver, deliver. heal. This Jesus, this is what he's doing. He's setting at liberty those who have been captive. This is what I call the Jesus what. This is what Jesus is up to. This is what he was doing while he was on the planet, walking around. This is what he's releasing. This is the kingdom what? To save, deliver, and heal. This is why, you know, we put on our, our sign out there in the lobby, let your kingdom come in the city as it is in heaven. This is the kingdom what? The Jesus what is kingdom come, right? What we're saying is what heaven is like, we want to bring some of that here to earth. And that's the Jesus what? Now, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, for salvation, deliverance, healing, that's a pretty big deal. The Jesus what is a big deal, right? This, how many you guys believe this world needs the Jesus what? Anybody agree with that? This world needs the Jesus what? How many of us need the Jesus what? I need the Jesus what, right? And, and the amazing thing is that what Jesus does next is he, he invites all of us, those of us who are disciples, those of us, he, he invites the disciples to go and to be a part of the Jesus what? He invites the people in the upper room in the book of Acts to be a part of the Jesus what? And he's inviting all of us to be a part of the Jesus what? This is the mission of God. Jesus' mission is our mission. I'll just say it this way. This may sound a little confusing, but the Jesus what is why you were created. If you ever wondered, like, what am I here for? What am I born for? If you're a follower of Jesus, the Jesus what is why you were created. You were created to be on mission with God. You were created to be with God and then be on mission with God. You were created for these things. The Jesus what is why you were created as a follower of Jesus in some way, shape, or form. 
Now, we've been talking about discipleship. Discipleship meaning, like, this is what it looks like to be an active follower of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, we talked about three different words. We talked about encounter. I'm not going to re-preach the message, but one moment in the presence of God can change anything and everything. How many of you guys believe that? What we couldn't do in our own strength, the power and the presence of God can do. We can see miracles happen. We can see breakthroughs happen. We can have moments in the presence of God that can mark us, alter moments that can mark us forever. Those are encounter moments. We need, need those on our journey with Jesus. But then we need formation. Pastor Aaron talked about formation last week. We need that, that formation where we get formed into the way of God. We get formed into the love of God. We get formed into the fruit of the Spirit, the heart of God. But then we also need the mission of God. And I put the mission of God in this way. The mission of God, I wrote this down, we were created to be extravagant, risk-taking conduits of God's love to the world around us. Let me read that again so that you can kind of soak that in. We were created, designed to be, extravagant, risk-taking conduits of God's love to the world around us. This is what it looks like to be on mission. If you are on mission in some way, I don't care if you're sharing your faith to somebody, what are you doing? You're being a conduit of God's love to those people, right? I don't care if you're uh, you know, a missionary across the world, you are being a conduit to God's love. I don't care if you're using a spiritual gift, you are being a conduit of God's love. I don't care if you're serving in the nursery or serving at the coffee bar, or you're being a conduit of God's love in some way, shape, or form. Any outflow is being a conduit of God's love to the world around us. And I want you to understand that you were created to be that. You were designed to be that. You are, if you are a follower of Jesus, let me just say it this way. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are not on mission like you should be, you will be miserable and may, maybe not even know why. There, there's going to be something about you that just doesn't feel right. Something about you, and then, then we start to go on and, and start to think, well, maybe there's a problem with my situation or my circumstance or the people or the church that I'm at or whatever it is. We start to begin to think that we, we may be miserable and we not even know why. When you're, when you're not on mission with God, so let me just, I've shared this story with you guys before. 2004, uh, I left what up to that point was my dream situation. Ever since I was a teenager, I felt called to ministry and I wanted to be a youth pastor. And so I was, I had all this opportunity. I was in a youth ministry. We had hundreds of teenagers every single week. We were, I mean, we'd have a big event. We'd have over a thousand teenagers at a big event. We'd see a hundred of them get saved. You didn't know Jesus had come to Jesus. I mean, it was just everything was happening that I, that I wanted to see happen. And I walked away from that and went into a season where it was like, okay, well, I guess maybe my season, my ministry season's over. And so we started a business. We started making more money than we ever had in our lives at that point. We had more time to spend with our kids than we had. We were, you know, just, it was just a different, different world at that point. And then we built what was up to that point. It was just our dream house. I mean, it was like, it looked like a cedar log cabin in, the, in Colorado, but it was in Missouri. I mean, it had a, this winding driveway that went up to it. It looked amazing with Christmas lights on it. And the, I mean, it was just everything that we, we just wanted at that time. And we, we, had it, we had all those things, check, 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 check. And I was serving in my, my parents' church at the time just because I knew that's what you're supposed to do. And I knew that something was off, but I just didn't know what. I was doing things for God, but I really wasn't walking in specific obedience to what God had. Have you ever been there before? It's like you're doing stuff for God, but you know there's a specific obedience that you kind of aren't walking in. And that was me. And I knew something was off, but I didn't know what, and I didn't know why. And so then I, you know, one day, as I tell the story, I was walking around in the back. We had five acres. I was walking around in the back field there, and I was praying, and, and I was miserable in some ways, even though everything was going right. You know you can be miserable even though everything's going right. So I was miserable even though everything was going right, and then that's when I heard the whisper of God, and he just whispered to me, and he said, something's going to change. And I was like terrified and relieved all at the same time. Because it's like, we, at that point, we just were like, we're gonna go, we'll go anywhere in the world. 
we'll do anything. Because we were just ready, because we knew something down deep was off. But, and, and then God called us to just come and move just like 40 minutes south of where we were and to start Journey Church. But it's, what I'm saying is that if you are not on mission with God, you will be miserable outside of mission. You are, because you are created to be on mission with God. You will be miserable outside of obedience. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 makes this pretty clear that this is how we were designed. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For we are his workmanship. We are created, designed, made, made for. This is the reason you're created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's built into your design. Think about how built into your design. Go all the way back to Adam. Adam, what happened? God creates Adam. God says it's not good for a man to be alone. Puts Adam in a sleep. And out of Adam, a rib, out of Adam came what? Came Eve, came woman. And then out of woman comes what? (laughs) Humanity. See, it's built into your very biology that you were designed to be an outflow that something that life will come out of you that will be a gift to the world around you. At your very core, you are designed to be this way. And so when you're not functioning in this, something is going to, be feel, it's going to feel off. Your biology is embedded with this idea that, that life being born out of you is a gift to the world. You are literally created to be a creator of some sort. You are gifted to be a gift. You're blessed to be a blessing. It's designed that way. It's in your core. It's in your DNA type level. And so what happens is anything other than that, when you are not functioning like God designed you, it becomes warped. It becomes warped inward. Whenever you're not, you don't have the outflow you were designed for, things become warped inward. In fact, that's what sin is. Sin, sin is simply this, it's warping the design of God where you're supposed to love God and love others and warping it inward on a selfish desire that can come for many different reasons. And it begins to be warped inward upon itself to serve its own needs in some way, shape, or form at the expense of God's mission. And so the Jesus what is so important. That's why we talk about, you know, we walk into different places and we say, Jesus, what are you doing and how can I be a part? Because the kingdom of God, the what is so important. We want to be actively on mission with God. The what is important and many of us don't do the what. I think it's because we've lost the way. Because the what has to flow through the Jesus way. So what is the Jesus way? So many of us, we've forgotten the Jesus way, and so we don't do the Jesus what. Well, the Jesus way, I'm going to just define it and wrap it up into one word. But I'm not going to tell you what the word is. (laughs) We're going to do that here in just a second. But I just want to set it up first. Because remember, when all of the the height of Israel stuff was going on, it's still going on, uh, we were able to partner with a ministry in Israel that actually, some of you guys are familiar with Clint Sprague. He's one of our overseers. He's a pastor of Life Mission in Olathe, uh, Kansas. And his daughter actually lives in Israel and is, works for a ministry in Israel that was, that's on the ground there. And so she was on the ground with the ministry helping, like, I mean, front lines type stuff. And so we were able to support this ministry. We gave over $8,000 during that time to be able to support the work that, that was happening. And uh, so I thought it would be cool if I... If I don't share that word with you, but I let um, Kayla share that word and what it means because I believe it's so important and maybe some of us have lost the heart of it. And if we can get the heart of it back, then maybe we can start to walk in the Jesus what. And so here it is. Let's take a look. Hey, my name is Kayla and I am so excited to talk to you about something that matters to all of us, love. You may have read in the Bible that God's love is unconditional, but what does that actually mean? If you think about it, we use the same word in the English language, love, to refer to things like, I love ice cream, which I do, and I love my mom, which is also obviously true. But we know that the strength of these loves are massively different. Well, by the end of this video, you're gonna have a better picture of God's love for you because you'll understand the significance of the Hebrew word for love and how it relates to your everyday life. Welcome to Israel U. We know the Bible can be confusing, 
and you want to get more out of it, which is why we want to teach you Hebrew words that will help you better understand the Bible and transform your faith. So one of my favorite descriptions of God's love in the Bible can be found in Isaiah 54, which says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Now, the Hebrew word we translate as God's love in this verse is chesed, which is actually a hard word to translate into English. Theologian John Oswald said chesed is completely undeserved kindness and generosity. Chesed is not just a feeling, but an action. Chesed is not merely romantic love. It's much broader. It's a faithful, reliable, long haul, no matter what type of love. It is a wife praying for years for her husband to know God. It's a dad once again bailing his drug addicted son out of prison. Chesed is a parent lovingly caring for their autistic child year after year. Chesed is a husband loving his wife no matter how many times she cheats on him. No, really, that's in the Bible. You may have heard the story of Hosea, but to summarize it, God calls Hosea to love his wife Gomer faithfully. No matter how many times she leaves him or is unfaithful to him or how much danger she finds herself in, Hosea would not give up on her and continued finding, forgiving, and loving her no matter what. Another theologian writes, Chesed intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. That's what Hosea did time and time again. And the word translated as love in these verses is Chesed. We see it written over and over again throughout the book of Hosea. And it gets even better. Did you know that Hosea's love for his wife is actually a picture of God's love for his people? We see this in Hosea 2, where God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness, in justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Chesed is more than a feeling, and it speaks to fulfilling the promises made in action and attitude. God's chesed is so strong that he will faithfully love Israel forever and care for his people based on his covenant with them, not according to their actions in return. In this, God shows us what true love, mercy, and faithfulness are through his love for Israel. And now, he's invited all of us to experience this unconditional love and undeserved mercy together. God's love is faithful. It's loyal. Chesed is love based on action. And most importantly, chesed is God's unfailing love for you. Oftentimes when I felt alone, God uses a person in my life to show unconditional love to me. And through their actions, through their mercy, through that undeserved favor, I can see his heart. When we receive love that we don't deserve, that is the gospel. That's hesed. That's love in action. This week, let hesed be a reminder that God is always with you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, no matter how far off you feel, he's not intimidated by your imperfections. He's not scared of your shortcomings. God is with you and he loves you no matter what. Amen. How many of you guys are like trying to think, could I say that word or not? Like, could I say it the way, you know, I don't know if I'm saying it right. But that is such an important thing. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at verse 10. Let's, let's roll back the tape and let's look at verse 4. Watch what it says. But God, being rich in mercy, and here's a key word. He's rich in mercy, why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. See, God is able to be on mission to us, for us, because of something, motivated by something. The Jesus what has a way, and I would say it this way, the Jesus way is as important as the Jesus what. See, we were created to be extravagant conduits of what? Of God's love. And here's what I want you to understand. If you're not, if you're not on mission and you're not miserable <laughs> because you're not on mission, it could be because you're actually numb. And numb is worse than miserable. 
Numb is worse than miserable. Numb is scary. The reason why numb is scary and why numb is worse than miserable is because, mostly because you don't know at that point any longer. Or worse than that, you don't seem to care. Like you know and you don't care anymore. And so numb is worse. And when you're not walking in the what of Jesus because you don't have the way of Jesus, it's probably because we've lost the love of God somewhere. We're not motivated by the love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's talking to a group of people who are on mission with spiritual gifts. You know, you can be on mission with spiritual gifts. They're using spiritual gifts all the time. They're on mission. Outflow, outflow, outflow. But they're missing. They've got some of the what, but they aren't doing the way of Jesus. And it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge but I don't have love, guess what? It's not really doing a lot. You can be operating in spiritual gifts and be doing all these things that look like you're doing a lot of stuff for God, but he's saying you can be on mission with God doing the Jesus what, but if you're not doing it the Jesus way, it doesn't count for anything according to the scriptures. It says, and if I have, so some of us are like, yeah, spiritual gifts people, I mean, they can just be out there and all kinds of stuff. It, listen, it goes on, it says, if I have all faith to even move mountains, if I can just have breakthroughs in my life and believe for this and this happens, but I don't have love, nothing. It goes on even further. It says, even if I give away all that I have and, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, even if I become a martyr, but I don't have the love of God, it's not, it doesn't count for much. I don't have love. I gain nothing. And here's what I, I want us to see. You can put anything in there. This is spiritual gifts as the example. But you can put, you could put like, hey, I'm, if I was a missionary and out there, you know, you know, speaking the gospel to tribes who had never even heard, but I didn't love, didn't mean it, didn't count for much. God may use that, but in your own heart, nothing's really happening that much. We can put anything in there. We could put, you, you could be serving in the nursery, serving in the church faithfully, but if you're not doing it from a place of love, it's, it's just a lot of noise and activity. I could, you, I could put in preaching. I, I can preach here every week, and I can pastor this church, and I can do all this stuff, and it looks like you know I could give a 1,000 altar calls, and hundreds of people get saved, but if I don't have love, something is missing. It's just, for me at least, it's just a noise happening. And God can use that beyond me, and he can take that and use it in, in your life, but for me personally, it's, it's going to be it's not going to come to much. That's what it's saying. We can put anything. You can lead a small group here in this church, and you can be doing, see all this stuff happening, but if you don't have love, you can do marriage ministry. You don't have love. You can, you can have political activity. And try to change the world and change this country. But if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. And I'm saying that genuinely, I hope, I believe, I'm, <laughs> my motivation as I'm preparing this is because I love you. Because I love these people, because I love this church, because I love what God is doing in this world. And so I would say it this way. Though, I'm not saying you shouldn't be in, involved in leading a small group or shouldn't be involved in preaching the word of God or shouldn't be involved in sharing your faith or that you shouldn't be involved in, in political activity and in, in changing things. You should be involved in all that stuff. You should be. And those of us, who we, man, we feel like a burden on our life. We see all the news happening all around us. We feel like, man, how can I not do something and stand up for what's right? And here's what I want you to understand. If, if you do feel that, especially in this year, what's election year? Come on. Part of my job as a pastor is to pastor us through these type of things, too. So let me just say it this way. For those of us who do feel compelled to see change happen, I want you to understand and hear this clear. Our mission is not culture war. It's kingdom come. We need desperately to hear this message. Our mission is not culture war. It's kingdom come. And some of us are like, yeah, but there's a lot of stuff that needs to be cleaned up. 
in this world. A lot of stuff in our government needs to be cleaned up. Can I just remind you, and you even say, well, Jesus sure didn't have a problem tearing things up, did he? I mean, he brought a whip. <laughs> I want you to be reminded, Jesus didn't bring a whip to the government. He brought it to the church. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. And then he ticked off church people. So you want Jesus to start getting mad? You know where he's going to start? Right in this room. And he may not go beyond it like you would like him to. <laughs> right? I mean, am I reading the Bible right or am I reading it wrong? I feel like I'm reading it right. But I'm open to other possibilities as well. But I know that he ate with tax collectors and sinners. He ticked off church leaders. What I'm saying is many times it's us who need the wake-up call, right? It's us who need to, to have something wake up. Think about every interaction that Jesus had with somebody who was from the world. The fishermen, the, uh, the tax collectors, the sinner, the rich young ruler, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. It was always an invitation he never compromised the truth, but it was always an invitation. He didn't come to the world with a whip. He came with an invitation to a better way. He said, come with me. There's a better way. Don't stay in sin. He didn't, Jesus never, I want you to understand, Jesus didn't condone sin or any of that type of stuff. He didn't celebrate sin. He didn't give it a pass. He didn't affirm it. He didn't do any of that stuff. He simply invited them to a better way. And he demonstrated, he, he walked in love and he demonstrated truth and he gave him an invitation to walk in a way that was better. And that's what we need to have, the heart of God. So I'm just suggesting, what if we led with love, not anger? What would our world look like? What, what, what would it look like if we led with love and not anger? See, if, we, if we're not careful, what can happen is we can become Pharisees where we start to try to become the, the moral police to the world around us, essentially, and try to make the world behave like Jesus, even though they're not followers of Jesus. Or we can start to take this approach even within our own house, within our own church, and be like, well, those, I'm, those people aren't as holy as I am. We start to kind of kind of try to try to make everything fit the way we think it ought to happen. We become Pharisees. I, believe me, I've been there. I know what that's like because that's just, that was, it's, it was easy, it's easy for me to find out things that are wrong. How many of you guys have that spiritual gift? Anybody have that spiritual gift? Where it's, just, it's just easy. It must be a spiritual gift because it just comes easy. I mean, I can find something. I can just walk in a room and I can just be like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. All my life, I've been in trouble because I've, I've, got, I've got myself in conversations because I was like, uh, you know, that was wrong, it needs to be fixed. Or I've got myself in situations, that's wrong, it needs to be fixed. And, man, I realized, I was like, man, that, that didn't, hasn't worked well for me, honestly. And I had this realization, I was at our real life group the other night, and somebody else was talking, I just had this realization that, oh, that is why I've been in in a lot of turmoil in my life. It's because somewhere at my core, I felt like if I see something wrong, I have to fix it. You guys know that there are some things that it's not your business to fix. There's a difference between a responsibility and a concern. Some things you are acting on and some things you are praying on, right? And so we can sometimes get into Pharisee mode where we try to like, think our mission is to right every, every wrong that we see in the world or in our friendship groups or our what we start to write every single wrong and so what happened is I recognized that about me and then I started seeing all these people who are like getting involved in all this stuff and like then I was like getting mad at these people who didn't seem to love, have the love of God like man these people just don't even like they're just don't even love people like Jesus loved then I started getting mad at people I thought were Pharisees then I started being a Pharisee to the Pharisees. <laughs> you know, some of us have trouble loving the sinner, and some of us have trouble loving the Pharisees. 
And the truth is, the way of Jesus, it needs to work on all sides. And so the Jesus way is as important as the Jesus what? Some of us need to just get a tattoo on our forearm or something like that. And just say the Jesus way is important as the Jesus what? Because i got to be reminded of it. Some Pharisee had a problem that I said tattoo in church. That's all right. I don't have any, so it's fine. You know, whatever. It's not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. You need to remind yourself. Put it on your refrigerator right next to your Bible verses. That'll be better, okay? The Jesus way is as important as the Jesus what. If I'm going to do the Jesus what, I have to do it in the Jesus way. You don't get to do the Jesus what any other way. How much trouble would we save ourselves if we didn't do the Jesus what apart from the Jesus way? What I'm suggesting and what I believe the Bible clearly teaches is that you cannot do the Jesus what apart from the Jesus way and, and you be following scriptures. That you have to plug the two together. Anything else is just a lot of activity and a lot of noise, according to what the Bible says. And some of us are like, yeah, but aren't we supposed to be prophetic voices to this nation and speak to power and tear down things and all this type of stuff and tear down strongholds? And yeah, there, there's a certain aspect of that. I saw this clip from Pastor Robert Morris this week that I think really addresses there's a slight difference and I think if we could just get the difference that, yes, we are supposed to stand up for what's right. And, yes, we are supposed to, to do these things. And, yes, we are supposed to be on mission. And, yes, there is darkness out there that we are supposed to, to be involved in, in, um, in, in rooting out. But how do we do that and what's it all about? Well, I'll let Pastor Robert Morris, because I think this was just a good thing that he had to say. And I think if we catch it, just one little slight thing, it'll be all the difference in the world. Here's Pastor Robert. But then in verse 10 is where people get this that prophets are supposed to tear down. He tells Jeremiah to do six things, and four of them uh, seem to be negative and too positive. Two are about building, and four are about tearing down. But it's not people. This is so important. Look at verse 10. See, I have set this day, I, this day I have set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Please remember the word kingdoms. To root out, see how it sounds negative, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. So four of them are like throwing down, tearing down, you know, rooting up, pulling down, and then after you do all that, then build and plant. But the key here is it's not people because the key is the word kingdom. I've set you over kingdoms. And if you didn't know, there are only two kingdoms. And Colossians 1 verse 13 tells us those two kingdoms. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. By the way, that's good news. <laughs> he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son or the kingdom of light. Darkness and light, okay. So what he's telling this prophet to do is to tear down the kingdom of darkness and to build up the kingdom of light. That's what he's telling them to do. But it's not people. The, the, the reason that I had to focus on that, and, and, and by the way, just to, to help you with this, um, is you need to do this in your own life. You need to tear down everything that's dark and build up everything that's light. The, but the way you understand this is the word kingdom. It comes from two words. It's very simple, king and dominion. So the word kingdom means the king's dominion. And there's the kingdom of his dear son or the kingdom of light, the king of light, but there's a king of darkness, a principality of darkness, okay? So anything that looks like darkness in your life, you need to tear down. This is this season of increase. You might not think it's increase, but it is increase. Because God is getting the bad out and putting more of the, so he can put more of the good in. So I think he made a pretty clear distinction when it comes to this, when we're on mission and we feel like there are things that need to be set right. We get so focused on people sometimes that it, then our, we lose our love, and we have to be reminded of that. 
And so there's a couple different things we can look at here as we're talking about being on mission with God. And, and I just want to uh, bring up something I heard this week from an author and theologian, Dr. Robert Mulholland. And he said this. He says there's two ways of living. The first way is being in the world for God. I'm in the world. I'm here to represent God. And the second way is being in God for the world. See, the first way you can be in the world for God, and you can do that in such a way there's a temptation or a drift that can happen where you can be in the world for God, representing God, and actually lose the love of God in the process. I'm in the world, I'm representing, I'm supposed to be here, you know, planting my flag for God, holding territory for God. Well, those people are trying to get it, and I'm trying to hold my territory. And you can actually lose the love of God by trying to be in the world for God. But if you are in God for the world, how many of you guys know when you're in the love of God, it's in Him, you live and you move and you have your being, and from that position, you begin to reach out to the world. You can't be moved off the love of God for the world at that point. I believe that is such a key distinction. We go over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and it says, And walk in love as Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you are going to be an extravagant conduit of God's love for the world around you, you're going to be in God for the world. You're going to be doing this sort of thing to be on mission for God, and still retain the love of God, you know what's going to happen? It will cost you to do that. It will be a sacrifice to, be, to do the Jesus what the Jesus way is a sacrifice. That is not going to come natural to you. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be something that just comes automatic. 1 John chapter 4.10, reiterates this again, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Because he was on mission and love, you put mission and love together, there's a cost in order to do that. So let me just confuse you all just a little bit more. Because the Jesus what is why you were created. The Jesus way is as important as the Jesus what. The Jesus how is required for the Jesus what. How Jesus did it is part of the requirement. It's going to take a risk. You're going to have to risk. You're going to have to have a cost to be a conduit of God's love. When you share your faith, there's a risk. When you put mission plus love, there's a risk. There's a cost. When you share a word or a spiritual gift, there's a cost. You might be rejected. You might be off. You might be wrong. When you're serving and it costs you your time, you, it may be that it produces fruit or doesn't look like it produces any fruit at all. There's always a cost involved. And so if you suspect today that you are not on mission, maybe you're miserable, maybe you feel like something's off, or maybe you just kind of suspect, maybe I am numb to this whole thing and I've got to this place. I just want to ask you a question. Maybe we could ask ourselves, what if instead of measuring our contribution to the mission of God by the results we're getting, what if we instead started to measure it by how much it actually costs us to do it? Because so many times we get so fixated on whether we're getting results or not. But what if we changed our metric? If we know that the how we get it done is there's a cost involved, instead of measuring results, because listen, you don't always see the results. You definitely don't always see results immediately. And if we're always trying to measure results like it's some sort of, you know, spreadsheet or something like that to, you know, A, B plus B equals C, you're not going to be able to measure the results, and so you'll pull back from mission. But instead, what if you just look at your life right now and say, how much cost am I giving right now to the mission of God? And we started to measure our contribution by the cost, not the result. I believe that's the heart of God. In fact, I know that's the heart of God because it says in Scripture that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He put cost before result every time. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I understand, you know, because... That, that's, not a, that's not a fun thing to get excited about, right? But I'm just saying, what if we started to, what if our goal wasn't comfort? What if our goal, we shifted it, what if our goal wasn't comfort and it was actually our goal was inconvenience? What if our goal was how inconvenient can I be 
for the mission of God? How, what if our goal was holy disruption or holy interruption? Because if we're measuring not by the results, but we're measuring by the cost, then we should be looking to see how many times am I interrupted because of the mission of God and how, many, how much does it cost me this week to be on mission with God? That's a different type of prayer to pray. That's a different type of life to live. And I understand some things are easier to get excited about than others because sometimes you're like, oh, I'll do that and I'll, I'll pay the price to see that happen because there's a pretty good chance. When I, when I was a teenager... Well, how many of you guys have ever heard of this name? Some of you guys will have. It's a funny name. It's a guy um, who is a missionary. His name was Reinhard Bonnke. <laughs> That's his name. How many of you guys have ever heard of Reinhard Bonnke? All right. Not very many. So let me give, give you just a little bit about him. He, I believe he passed away in 2019. But he was, a, as a teenager, he felt called to the continent of Africa. He just felt like he was supposed to be a missionary to Africa. And he's just a teenager with a dream of God to be on mission with God in a very specific way. And so he starts to follow that out and he sees some results. He's going over, he's doing all this type of stuff, but he, he's doing all the stuff he knows to do. And then God, you know, through a series of events, I don't have time to tell the whole story. It really just begins to become effective. And he begins to see all sorts of things happen and miracles and salvations and things are just blowing up. He actually, in 1984, oversaw the construction of, at that time, it was the world's largest mobile structure that would uh, be able to hold something like 34,000 people in a tent at one time for crusade meetings. He was having all kinds of crusades meetings. Pretty soon, those things just blossomed out where he'd had hundreds of thousands of people in attendance at his events. Uh, the largest, I believe, was in Lagos, Nigeria, and he had in one, one attendance, the, the attendance of that one event was 1.6 million people at the same time hearing him preach. You can go on and you can Google it and you can get, see like just panning the crowds of like hundreds and hundreds of thousands, over a million people, and he'd have tons of people saved. His ministry said over his lifetime that it was like 79 million salvations are attributed to his ministry. And I watched that as a teenager. I kind of heard about him, and I was like inspired. I was like, I want to be Reinhard Bonnke. <laughs> like someday I could see myself doing something like that, you know? And I just got really inspired by that, and, and uh, I was like, man, I want to be Reinhard Bonnke. And then I became a youth pastor, and there was this opportunity where there was, there was a missions trip into Honduras, and they had a big crusade that was going on. And they had a youth crusade, and there was going to be 5,000 teenagers at this youth crusade, and they wanted uh, me to come and, and to preach at this crusade. And I'm like, here it is, Reinhard Bonnke. I'm going to do it. And I remember, like, I was, I was like, man, I, I, don't, I didn't know too much about it. I just knew at some point on the thing, I was going to get to preach to 5,000 people, like in a Reinhard Bonnke-type crusade. It wasn't millions, but it was going to, it was going to, be, it was going to be awesome. And so I'm getting all excited about it. I get up to the day, it was a Friday, the day I was supposed to go, the day before I was supposed to go. And all of a sudden, I started getting kind of knots in my stomach and stuff like that. And I don't get nervous about anything like that. And I, but I, was, I knew something was off. And so I started to pray about this. And I realized, and as I was praying, I heard God whisper down to me. He said, you didn't ask if you should go. You didn't ask if you should go. Well, yeah, I assumed. Reinhard Bonnke, like the, you know. Why wouldn't I go, right? Why would I ask? I'm going to go preach? Why would I ask? You didn't ask if you should go. Because up until that point, I just thought if there's opportunity, you go. And so I was like, I came to a quick conclusion that I was not supposed to go, and I didn't know why. It's the day before. Money's out. Plane tickets are bought. I'm supposed to leave in the morning. We had church on Friday night at that point. And so I went up to my pastor. I was a youth pastor. I went up to the pastor after the service. And I said, I don't think I'm supposed to go. <laughs> and he was like, all right, don't go. So I didn't go. And in that moment, I realized, like, okay, maybe I'm not supposed to be Reinhard Bonnke. Maybe... I'm not supposed to do that. Because I can get really excited about the cost involved in being a Reinhard Bonnke. Like, if I'm going to see that happen, well, sure. I'll fly across the world. Sure, I'm going to see that kind of thing. But how many you guys know that God had a mission for me, even though it was right in front of me? It wasn't the same. It, didn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a Reinhard Bonnke thing. 
What I'm saying is God has a mission for each one of us. And sometimes it looks like the investment seems like it's worth the cost. And sometimes it seems like it's not worth the cost. And do you know what the sacrifice is when you do something and it's not worth the cost? It's doing it even though it looks like it's not worth the cost. That's the cost. Because there are many times God calls us to do stuff that doesn't look like it's worth the cost, and that costs us to go ahead and do it. And can I tell you, that's most of our Christian life, by the way, is doing things where it doesn't look like it's worth the cost, but we do them, and that actually is the cost. It's doing them when it doesn't look like it's worth the cost. It's called faithfulness. It's called obedience. That's part of the cost. Serving in the seeming insignificant times and yet being faithful, that costs. May look like a good investment, may not. That's the cost. All right, let's let's wrap it up. Luke chapter four, verse 24. All right, hang on kids, we're almost there. We're almost there, we're almost there. You're doing your best, I get it. We're, we're coming, coming in for close. Luke chapter four, verse 24. I got one more scripture to read. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So Jesus is saying this at this point. He said, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent, it sent to none of them but only to Zarephath. What's he saying? See, they wanted him to do certain things. You know, Jesus stands up, he reads the scroll. They wanted him to do certain things. And Jesus is like, I'm, I'm gonna do, follow out my mission. And he explains to me, he's like, you know, remember when Elijah, you know, there's a lot of opportunities, but he only did certain things. And he went outside of their world and he went to people that they didn't think that he should go to. That's what he's saying in the land of Sidon. To a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet of Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. He mentions the Syrian on purpose, because the Syrian was a foreigner. The Syrian was somebody they didn't expect to be in on the mission of God. It says, but Naaman the Syrian, and when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. (laughs) They're all upset with Jesus all of a sudden. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down a cliff. What happened so quick? But passing through their midst, he just went his way. I was listening to an app, a devotional app this week, just a, a devotion time. And this verse happened to pop up. And it was brought up, they said, why were, so people, why were people so mad in Luke chapter four? He stands up, he reads the scroll. Why was he so mad? And here's what they said. It's because Jesus was saving and rescuing the wrong people. Foreigners to them. Jesus was saving and rescuing somebody other than what they expected. And so they got so mad, they wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. So the worship team, you guys can come back. I'm gonna just leave you with with a couple questions as we do this. Please pay attention to these last questions because this is part, this is so connected. And we're gonna talk about global missions. I'm bringing in a a guy in a couple weeks. We're gonna talk about global missions. This is more just about like, where do we go from here? Like you and I, like every day. But here's a question as we zoom out. Is there anyone that I really don't wanna share eternity with? Anyone I would struggle to accept, even if God forgave them. Kind of goes along with Joseph's word. He didn't know what I was preaching on, but so easy for us to be on mission for God. I'm in the world for God, and yet find that there are people in our lives that we would rather not spend eternity with. And we, are there, let me ask it this way Are there people? We exclude from the kingdom of God, even in our thoughts, in our thought life, that we get upset if Jesus were to let them in. People we're so angry about right now. People you might even consider your enemy. You know what Jesus said? He said, love your enemies. 
Even if they're opposed to the way of God, the Jesus way always is involved in the Jesus what. How are you gonna do that? It's going to cost you to be on mission with God. And so this is probably what Ananias had to wrestle with as God told him to go pray for Saul. I know this is what the listeners of the Good Samaritan story wrestled with as Jesus used a Samaritan, a foreigner, their enemy, as the hero of the story. He was trying to bring out a point that even while you're on mission, you cannot lose the way to do the what. That's what he's saying. And so let's pray for a fresh heart for God's mission in whatever ways he calls us to. Let's, let's pray for the love of God to flow through us so that we can be how we were designed to be. We were created to be extravagant, risk-taking conduits of God's love to the world around us. And I saw this as I was thinking about this message several weeks ago as I was preparing for this moment. You know, one of the things they do when, when a pastor goes into ministry is they will do something like ordain them into the ministry. What that means is that there are people who recognize there's a call of God on their life and they will pray over them and release them into ministry. Do you know that all of us are in ministry? Do you realize that all of us are to do the Great Commission? Realize that all of us are on mission with God in some way, shape, or form. It all looks different, but we're all on mission. And so what I saw in this moment is me just praying over all of us as a way of, of recognizing your call to ministry, your call to mission, and to pray that over you. And I know you're already released into ministry. You don't need me to do that. But I think there's something significant about us just recognizing that and formally doing that. So would you guys stand up so I can pray over all of us? Lord, we just recognize right now that every person who's a follower of Jesus in this room right now is called into ministry. We see that in scripture. We recognize that over their life right now. And I just reaffirm and, and, and speak over them that they are anointed to fulfill the mission that you've called them to do. Whether it seems significant or insignificant, these people are called into ministry. They are called into mission. We recognize that, we say yes to that. You might even just say yes to that, to that mission that God has. Just reaffirm that in your heart. Just say, yes, I know that I'm called into mission with God. And I, I just release that to them again and remind them of that again. Lord, would you remind them in their prayer life this week as they go into their prayer times, remind them of the mission that you've called them to. Remind them that they are on mission with you. Remind us of the Jesus what so that we can do the Jesus what, the Jesus way. How? By sacrificing. I, I just pray that there would be a, a, a revitalization, a, a, a re-knowing of our mission with you. That it would come back fresh and clear to us. We'd be reminded that even if we don't have a specific assignment in front of us that we are called to be on mission, that our eyes, I just pray for eyes wide open people right here. Their eyes would be wide open so that everywhere they go, they begin looking for the Jesus what? The Jesus way. And I just speak that over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond and worship to Jesus.